Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Mo Money Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Morehouse. Welcome back to the show. Oh, are you looking for some inspiration? Uh, a super cool guest who did something super cool that when she explains it, it doesn't seem so out of reach. So I have been following a purple life for a while. Obviously, that is not her real name, but she is still an anonymous blogger. There's not a lot of, uh, I feel like anonymous bloggers anymore, but I actually kind of love a good anonymous blogger because they share things that public bloggers do not because they can, um, you know, like numbers specifically. Um, so. I've been following A Purple Life for a little while. You can find her at apurplelife.com. Also follow her on Twitter, A Purple Life blog, or on Instagram, A Purple Life. Anyways, um, she is a black woman who worked in marketing for a number of years, which she uh, shares in this show. So she really knows what she's doing when it comes to blogging and marketing. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like her Twitter so much. She's very good. Um, and she's blogged about her journey to uh, reach financial independence since 2015. So actually, since I started this podcast which is kind of crazy. Um, But recently, like for real, very recently, she quit her job and retired and she's only 30 years old. And yeah, it's 2020. We're in a pandemic and she still decided to move forward with her, uh, you know, retire early plans. And we talk all about it. I ask her all the questions that I know you want to know about. I've had obviously quite a few guests on the show throughout the years who've reached FI um, and it's it's always so fascinating to find out what's the differences between all of them. How do they reach this uh, goal like crazy? Um, but I find with A Purple Life, her story is the most relatable. <laughs> like listening to this episode again as I was editing it, I'm like, when she says it, it doesn't seem so impossible. So I think you're going to like it. You're probably also going to like her blog because she really does go in depth about specifics what she does. But uh, yeah, you're going to really enjoy this podcast, I think. Before I get to that interview with her, of course, I have uh, a few words to share about this episode's sponsor. So hang tight, and then we'll get to that interview. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is sponsored by PC Financial. There's something very exciting happening. If you're a big fan of no monthly bank fees like I am, PC Financial recently launched their PC Money account. That's right. They are back. Their PC Money account has some major benefits that I think you're going to be very interested to know about. The big draw for me, of course, is that it charges no monthly fees. But on top of that, you can also earn 10 PC Optimum points for every dollar you spend, no matter where you shop which means you'll be earning points by spending money on things you already do anyway. Not only that, to help Canadians get more from their money, the PC Money account rewards customers with bonus points too. For instance, you can earn 1,000 points for paying bills, up to 5,000 points each month for bills over $50, 10,000 points for linking an external bank account, and a one-time 25,000 points for setting up and using direct deposits such as your paycheck. Oh, and did I forget to mention that when you spend money at Shoppers Drug Mart, you can earn 25 points for every dollar you spend. To learn more and to stop paying monthly bank fees and start earning points, visit pcfinancial.ca. Once again, that's pcfinancial.ca. Welcome to the show, A Purple Life. I'm so excited to have you on the show to talk about fire and your journey and just get all the tea, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive into the tea. <laughs> I know. I've been following you on Twitter uh, for a while, and it's so interesting kind of following, like, especially the past several months as you were, you know, gearing up to quit your job and do, uh, you know, your own thing and live your own financially independent life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now you're officially financially independent. And this happened recently, right? Mm-hmm. July. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So have you, so you've been, um, financially independent and, and, uh, have quit your job for a few months now. Um, financial independence since July, but actually this is my first full week of a retired life when we're recording this. Mm. Ooh, that's exciting. So I, I've got to start with this. Um, what is it like? This clearly is a weird year for everybody, but um, did you ever consider like putting off your plans until the pandemic was over or, or <laughs> like how is this different from what you initially kind of envisioned for yourself? Oh, of course. Of course, completely different. Um, <laughs> I did, of course, have to analyze if this was still a good idea. Um, I believe I wrote a, p- 
post back in, was it April or May? answering that exact question and like going through all of my thought processes. I even had a fun infographic, like, am I retired? (laughs) Um, Just so to make it really clear so that I have a logical way to go about this instead of like being led by emotions, which obviously this year is testing all of them. Um, But yeah, basically what I decided back then was I'm still going to quit. Um, And I was, I quit my job and gave one month notice in September. Um, And so my first week of freedom is October now. Um, And basically I decided, well, I might not be retired. Um, This infographic is seeing, oh, do I have my fire amount, which is a half a million dollars. If I don't, I'm on sabbatical or I'm fun employed. Um, And then like, how far am I from that goal? And how do I want to close the gap? Do I want to get some freelance projects? Do I want to do contract work? Um, Or do I want to just take a quick break and then dive back in when the world is a little less ridiculous? Um, So those were all the possibilities. And then also interesting side note, I work in marketing and that seems to be one of the few industries that is like booming right now um, because every company is trying to pivot their marketing materials, obviously, in this wild time. Yeah, so, it's like, how do we not look insensitive? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. How do we write these emails? So, yeah, I was shocked to see. I thought like every industry that um, everything would go down and unemployment's obviously skyrocketing. But I have alerts set up for specifically remote marketing jobs. I worked remote before the pandemic for four years. Um, and that's what I wanted to continue doing and uh, that number of emails and open um, jobs that I qualify for has been just exploding. So um, I felt confident in that plan that even if I quit and it was just a quick sabbatical to recharge after four years of working really hard, that was, uh, I usually keep a job for like a year and then take four months off. (laughs) So for a week or excuse me, four years without a break, I was like, I'm tired. Um, So that was the plan. And then also obviously the pandemic puts a lot of things in perspective. Like I want to be near my family in case they need me or in case something bad happens. Um, So just that kind of solidified my thought processes of what's important do I want to stay on the opposite coast? I lived in Seattle. Um, my family is mostly in Georgia, and I can't get to them if the worst happens. So, nope. Let's uh, let's just go for what's important. <laughs> so, did you move back to the East Coast? I did. Coming at you live from Georgia. Ooh, was your initial plan like if we weren't in the pandemic, what would you be doing now? You would have quit your job and financially. What would that look like? I would be on a plane to Australia right now. (laughs) (laughs) I got a um, my flight actually took off or would have taken off yesterday, and I got a notification that my gate changed. I'm like, you know, this flight was canceled. Don't send me that. Yeah, it's like, what are you doing? Don't you toy with my emotions? I was like, don't don't remind me. Like, obviously, there are much bigger problems, but. I was still like, don't uh, stop it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the thing that so many of us, I feel, I feel like we've all gone better because we've been doing this for like six months mm-hmm. or more than six months now, but it's, it's the, the life that we, that could have been this year that is, you know, kind of canceled for everybody. It's, a bit bizarro, but it sounds like it's it's interesting that you're like, no, we're gonna we're gonna do this, we're gonna push through, and we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna still go with the plan. And it sounds like it sounds kind of like, especially like <laughs> reading your Twitter feed, you were ready to quit <laughs> that job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were ready to go. <laughs> More than ready, but they're hilarious because every time I or every time when I quit or when I told anyone, they were like, oh, well, are you coming back? Right, like. As in any capacity, full-time, part-time, freelance, a contractor, like anything, come back. And I'm like, this is really interesting because I didn't expect that at all. Um, but it seems like, and this is from multiple people on many different teams. So it seems like if I do want to make money for some reason in the future, that would be a really easy way to do it. Which is a, a good reason to not burn any bridges on your way out. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I burned nothing. Very cordial. Yeah. And I guess that's the one good thing about you staying anonymous, having this kind of second life as this blogger that they most likely they probably have no idea about. Mm-hmm. And then being, you know, professional you is you can kind of do both, you know? Whereas when I quit my job, I was always been a, a public blogger. And although I don't think I ever, while I was at the job, talked about the job because I obviously didn't want to get fired and everyone mm-hmm. like I knew my coworkers and my boss watched it they listened to my podcast you know like they you know so I I had to be very careful but 
oh man, I was so ready to quit that job. And so once I was gone, I mean, I, I don't, I didn't burn any bridges. And quite honestly, everyone that I worked with there no longer works there. So it doesn't really matter. But oh man, I was, I, I, I really did. I was, I really wanted to be like, fuck all you. <laughs> I'm out of here. You know, like the classic, you know, kind of quitting scenario. But uh, well, I didn't do that. But even still, I realized life is not a movie. So even if you want to do that, you would do that and people would just be in their cubicles. They're like, okay, like, I don't care. Exactly. <laughs> like, can you be quiet? I'm on a call. <laughs> it's not glamorous. I know. It's like, if you know, if you want that moment, you won't get it. Like I gave two months notice, which is too much. That's too much notice. I thought I was being really respectful and nice, but then you're just hanging out there working for two months as people are basically making plans to replace, like, I was there for when they were, um, you know, put up the notice of my you know, replacement. And then I think started interviewing. It was, it was like, I shouldn't be here. I should be gone when this is happening. This is bizarre. Um, and also a couple other things. I'm like, I really wish I wasn't here. I, part of the reason I quit was because I uh, was up for a promotion that was delayed for, you know, eight months. I kept on asking, like, where is it? Never happened. Um, and it was obviously like an increase in uh, pay and title. And then I'm like, well, I'm quitting. So it doesn't matter anymore. And when they posted my job, it was for that position. I don't know if the salary, I, I guarantee you it was a title and not the salary, but it was still like, really, guys? Really? <laughs> That's well, it's also just like, I think this is a sign that we were meant to leave. We're done here. And mm -hmm. what can you do? And obviously, I've been doing my own thing for four years. So I'm very happy with the decision. So I know you're going to be very happy with your decision. But it's also, too, I did, I made sure not to burn bridges. Like, so even when I left, my husband, at that time, the last year, I helped them set up a, a podcast for themselves. And my husband was actually the one who, because he's an audio mixer, a freelancer, he runs his own business. He was actually doing the mixing for that. And he did that for like an extra year. I'm like, you know, I don't work there anymore. Like, you can quit if you want. He's like, I don't know. It's pretty easy. They're nice. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So, um, but yeah, so I, I think that's a, a good, you know, tip for everybody. No matter if you're quitting a job or become financially independent, you know, it's just never worth it to burn a bridge or to like go out in flames. Um, cause you never know. Maybe you do want to go like, mm -hmm, I've got some time or don't mind picking up a few projects or something like that. Do you have plans to work though? So that's my question to you. So I know your fire number and I want to kind of get into all of this, but your fire number is half a million dollars. Um, typically when I've talked to people on the show, Usually their number is much higher than that, like a million plus. Was your kind of plan to like, mm, I may earn some new income as I'm financially independent or is your, are you kind of one of those? No, uh, you know, in terms of financially independent I, or, or, you know, the retire early portion, that means earning no new income, just living off this. Like what's your kind of philosophy, I guess, when it comes to fire? Cause people have some feelings. <laughs> <laughs> All the feels. So, um, originally I was going to go full on RE, retire early, not do anything at, well, anything, not do anything people would claim as productive or quote unquote work, um, not making money. However, I've already failed at that <laughs> because, <laughs> um, I took my blog public two years ago. I absolutely love it. In that time, I've never missed a Tuesday post posting every Tuesday. And I've promised that at least for a year into retirement, I will continue posting every Tuesday. So if you call that productive, then I failed. That sounds pretty productive. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so fun. Um, and then after a year, I'll assess like maybe I'll be like the other early retirees and start posting once a month or sporadically or never again. So we'll reassess. But that's happening. Um, I did semi-recently finally break even on the blog, which was not expected either. So it's paying for itself right now. Um, we'll see how the rest of the year goes, but maybe I'll be in the black for a second. I don't know. And then you'll be like, you're not retired anymore. You failed again. So, well, <laughs> oops. I love that argument of like, oh, you're earning money. So you're a failure. I'm like, um, how is earning money a failure? Like, I think we know, like, that's not how failure works. Number one, it's a good thing if you're earning money. Who cares if you're, yeah. yeah, I just, for me, the whole fire community, I think I was so on board several years ago when it was kind of new to me. But if you get really deep, deep, deep into that community, people are so hard on their opinions. It's almost like, I thought the whole point of fire was flexibility and freedom and there seems to be a lot of rules <laughs> like why i thought that's the opposite of what this whole thing is about 
quote. <laughs> no, it is. Some, some people like the rule books. I like to throw it out. But it's, it's so fascinating because I don't think I know any early retirees who don't do anything quote unquote productive or make any money. For example, my mom retired at 55 and like she would not be classified as retired either because she has a rental property that has like passive income. So, oh, nope, not retired, not at all. Which is so dumb. I'm like, that's so smart. (laughs) That's a smart thing to do in retirement. (laughs) I don't know. So in addition to her investments, she has that. I think she has like really small pensions from 30 years ago. So I assume that also knocks her out of the retiree category. But Anyway, so the point is I am a failure. No, uh, so might make a little money accidentally TBD, but also um, you're asking basically how I feel comfortable with this amount. The portion besides income is obviously spending and that half a million only, I'm very lucky to say, only has to cover the costs of myself as in I'm, uh, I have a partner, but we have separate finances, so I don't have to... Um, cover my spouse in any way. Basically, usually when I hear um, about someone retiring, it's with a million dollars, but they mean for a couple. So really it is half a million each. Um, And then also I have complete flexibility over my spending as in I have no bills month to month. (laughs) I don't have a house. I don't have a car. um, I don't have any pets. um, And this is kind of that I stumbled into when I was trying to figure out what makes me happiest. Um, My original plan, like I mentioned, I was supposed to be on a flight to Australia right now, was to travel around the world and be nomadic. So before we left Seattle, we got rid of all of our stuff. Um, And we're trying to get back to basically packing a 40-pound backpack, and we're going to be gallivanting around the world. But obviously, that's not happening. So instead, we packed, or excuse me, we checked um, a total of three bags. Ooh, so much luggage. And that's everything we own. <laughs> so um, I am still COVID pending, planning to slow travel around the U.S. at least until international travel is advisable. Um, and that allows me really a lot of freedom with my costs because, for example, I can decide that I'm going to go hang out in the woods for three months and spend next to nothing while, I don't know, learning about birds. Very random. Um or I can say, hey, I want to check out New York City. I used to live there. What's What are they up to? And obviously, that's much more expensive. But just the fact that I have nothing month to month that I have to pay for really allows me to spend whatever I want or need. And doing so um, obviously makes it a lot more likely that my half a million will stretch because I have control over that. So, uh, okay, two questions. First, you uh, mentioned uh, we. So is your partner, I, I guess, along for the ride with you? And did... Uh, he uh, also reached financial independence or how does that work? So he actually introduced me to fire and I ignored him for two years. <laughs> uh, so obviously I have to give that shout out because yeah. <laughs> he, into it. Um, he is on the journey. He's not there yet. Uh, he actually took a sabbatical for like almost a year. So we're taking kind of like a semi-retired approach. I guess. Um, now he's back in the workforce, but yeah, he is also remote. So we can, to our nomadic travels together. Um, but yeah, not yet retired. Cool though. So again, that flexibility though. So you can kind of, you know, do that slow travel around the US and he can still work until he reaches his, you know, fire number. That's really cool. That's awesome. Oh, now I'm going to forget the second question, aren't I? <laughs> I hate when that happens. You're like, there's two questions. Let's get them out before you forget. And I already forgot the second. Oh, um, I don't know if this was the original question, but it doesn't matter because no one knows what I was thinking. Um, the question was, what do you kind of have... Um, I guess, prepared in case some of your wants change. Like you mentioned, you know, you're not going to get married, no kids, no um, pets, no, you know, buying a house. Have you kind of considered what if that changes over the years? What does that kind of look like? And how will that kind of change your kind of financial picture? Of course. Um, I know a couple of those things will definitely never happen as in marriage and kids. We've both decided that together. But I never say never generally. So maybe if I do want a house, um, I was actually looking at up the possibility of becoming a permanent resident in Mexico and the hoops you have to jump through to own property there as an American, which is complicated but possible. Um, so, for example, if I do change my mind, um, if the pandemic continues, I might buy a car because we don't currently have one and it's been challenging, especially in the first couple of months, to get anywhere in a safe fashion (laughs) since we don't want to get on the bus or in an Uber or anything like that. So um, never say never. But 
the way that I plan for that is one, like I said, looking at alternate ways to do it, such as buying property in another country. Um, or my models actually aren't really based on the 4% rule of thumb. That was um, like a very low baseline, but um, I actually spent 18000 a year when I lived in Seattle um, in the middle of the city. So I was thinking if I move, for example, to Georgia and seeing the rents around here, my costs are plummeting right now. Um, so I have that flexibility there. Also, my half a million dollar number actually came from that 18000 a year in the middle of Metropolis plus an 11% buffer. So I just bumped it up to 20,000 just in case. Um, And then also, as I mentioned, it's not really based on the 4% rule of thumb. The models are based on me spending, um, basically not having a spending ceiling. So in upmarket years, I can spend more money depending on how high the market is going and even doing so. um, And that can be like, I think the highest I saw was, um, spending like $200,000 in one year. This is in, you know, 20 years or so when it's compounded, but basically not having a spending ceiling. So in that fictional year, um, I could be like, well, I could technically buy like a $150,000 house (laughs) in cash right now. Um, So yeah, so basically it's complete flexibility around that being able to not have a ceiling. So in an upmarket year, or if I've been thinking about buying a house for a couple of years, I'm like, and now it's time, there's the money and let's do this. So yeah, never say never, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Since you mentioned models, I'm, I'm curious because yeah, I feel like uh, all I hear from other, um, you know, fire people, uh, which probably isn't the right term, but you know what I mean, um, is, is the 4% rule. So what kind of models or, or what kind of strategy did you use to, to kind of figure out your plan? This is how much I need. This is how much I can withdraw every year to sustain myself. How did you figure that out for yourself? So um, I used cfiresim.com. No, I've never heard of that one. Oh, it's fantastic. So it has a lot more variables that you can tweak compared to any other uh, fire calculator that I've found. And um, the original 4% rule of thumb was based on a 30-year retirement. Now, obviously, if I'm retiring at 30, knock on wood, I'm hoping to have like more than 70-year retirement. (laughs) (laughs) Things go well. Um, So yeah, the 4% rule doesn't really apply. So that was why it was a baseline. And then I was just tweaking that calculator to see like for the last, I think I have investment data for the last 150 years. So for the last 150 years of all of the 70 year time periods that we have available, um, what amount would allow me to live to 100 and still have money in the bank, basically. Um, And that's how I got the number. So I tweaked like if I lower my spending, maybe two or three thousand dollars a year, which is not, obviously not hard. Um, Mexico is technically open, so yeah. if I want to like <laughs> that costs and hang out on a beach, I can. I'm not going to, but technically, um, so just that I have that flexibility to like lower my spending, but then I was also curious what happens if I don't have that spending ceiling and would that completely ruin me? And I was shocked to see that it does not, as long as I like, um, increase my amount kind of proportionate to what the market's doing. So yeah, that's how I figured it out. It was a lot of mathematical models. And I was shocked to discover that even if 2020 was the next 1929, which based on how it's going, it actually doesn't look like it it is as bad, surprisingly, um, I would have been fine retiring in 1929. Interesting. Yeah, I want to talk about what's going on right now, because I feel like especially around March, there are so many people, you know, talking online and articles being like, oh, I bet all those fire bloggers are really regretting retiring because of what happened in March. Um, And then things rebounded and those people are probably just fine or if not way wealthier. So, but obviously this is such a weird year. We have no idea what's going on, especially with the American election. It has such a big impact on the stock market in the U.S. and even here in Canada. It like we're looking, we're like, what's going to happen with this election? It's going to have an impact on our stock market and our economy. So, what have you kind of? What, what are your kind of thoughts on this? Like, do, do, are you concerned? You're like, no, no matter what's going to happen, I'm going to be okay. And I, I'm assuming during their, you know, testing out different models for um, different scenarios, you know another market crash or, you know, a long uh, recession, you kind of maybe played around some of those uh, scenarios. Yeah. So for me personally, I know I'm going to be fine just because when um, the pandemic did hit, I 
as I said, reevaluated what's going on. I did also decide um, to up my cash buffer. So originally I was going to have just my first year spending in cash um, in a high interest savings account, shout out. Um, (laughs) But then when I was reading about COVID and everything that's happening and looking at vaccine timelines, I decided to increase that to two years. So I currently have that. And then that two years is in addition to half a million dollars invested. So that's where we are right now. Oh, okay. That's Yeah. You know, I think that's actually an important thing to mention. It's like, I think a lot of people, when people talk about this is how much money I've got for my retirement, uh, they may uh, forget to mention there's, so there's that cash buffer of a few years or one or two years, and then also that investment. So at what point do you, so you've got, you know, like two years in cash, at what point do you uh, start to withdraw new cash from that kind of an investment pile to fund like the following year? Yeah. So I'm planning to do it basically on the anniversary of my retirement, which will be each October. Um, just to keep it clean and not around necessarily the beginning of the year or any other weirdness that might happen. Um, so that's the current plan. But like I said, I might be slightly in the black with uh, my side projects. So if that happens, obviously it pushes out my timeline. But looking at just the cash buffer of two years plus the taxable dividends I'll be receiving, um, I don't need to touch my portfolio until March 2023. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's very cool. So hopefully the world's better then. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, I sure hope so. <laughs> it will be. Don't worry. I mean, I think a lot of people forget and like I've had a lot of people who've achieved fire and mainly uh, on the show um, and, and mainly because they grew their wealth substantially because of the last financial crisis. So I feel like that's what's going to happen again. I mean, it's it's happened so many times in the past. So I think a lot of people are really kind of afraid right now, but um, like talking to people like you, I'm like, I, 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 this is actually kind of like in weird, uncertain times, this is actually typically a great time to continue investing your money and grow your wealth. So I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about how, you know, how did you start investing? Were you always pretty savvy when it came to that? And and what was your kind of investing strategy philosophy? Like, what are you doing with your money to make sure you were able to kind of achieve? Because I, I looked on your website and it's really great because you have, you're very transparent with, which I, I think is probably part of the reason you're anonymous, which is you can really share those numbers where I know a lot of other bloggers um, I think they did when they were anonymous, then they became public, and then they kind of stopped sharing some of those numbers, which fair enough, you don't want someone to steal, you know, to find out your identity and then steal your identity or something like that. But it's interesting to really see, you know, your net worth numbers, your spending numbers, your all that kind of stuff. But it, it looked like there was a big jump from 2018 to 2020, like you basically doubled your net worth or, or something close to that. You kind of explain what, yeah, what are you doing with your money to to make it grow so fast? I think we all want to know. <laughs> A lot of questions. All right. (laughs) I know, I know. So um, I have not always been investing savvy. I was in the camp of that looks complicated. I don't know what that is. Um, But luckily, my mom, she didn't start investing in stocks until she was 40, actually. And she's still retired at 55. So late starters, you can still do it. It's never too late. Um, So she did tell me when I got out of college and I had my first job with a 401k, she had me talk to her investment advisor who, hmm. It's not ideal. Uh, We discovered later when I did understand investing, but at least I started investing then, which is great, and uh, saving some on taxes because I was using 401k. But then a couple years passed, and like I mentioned, my partner introduced me to the idea of FIRE. I dismissed him, and then um, I actually told myself that when I get my dream job, I'll be happy. I don't need to like figure out how to retire super early. It's fine. I got the dream job. I still wasn't happy. <laughs> I was like, what was that fire thing you mentioned two years ago? Um, and then I was like, oh, okay, let me look into this. And that's when I read like every book I can get my hands on about investing. The New York Public Library was like, what is up with this girl? Um, and I had to read them like multiple times because I was like, wait, I don't get it. Hold on. How does this work? So it took me a while. But after doing all that research, I ended up where most fire people seem to, which is like straight up VTSAX um, because of my flexibility and um, my lack of emotional response to market downturns so far, I actually have 100% stocks. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's exciting. <laughs> right? Always fun to see. Like, what's going on today? Oh, lost, lost a year of expenses. Up, oh, gained three years. What's going on? <laughs> 
I know, I know. So how do you, how do you, I guess, manage the emotions? Because I think that is honestly the hardest part. And that's, uh, especially during this year, people are so emotional and I get it. I've been, I've almost made some big mistakes with my money. They're like, wait, logic, let's not do that. Let's remember the advice you give other people and take it yourself. How are you, how have you been able to kind of manage and not like, you know, be like, no, we're okay. We're switching things because holy crap, things are getting scary. Mm -hmm. So I have like a written out plan. If this happens, you do this. If this happens, you do that, which luckily I haven't had to use, but I, I've heard from other early retirees that that's important to have, especially after you're retired, because obviously it's a huge life change. And so there's emotions with that as well. So if something goes not the way you thought, you might react. Um, but the way that I've just generally been calm about it, even in March, um, is that since I started my journey, which is almost, it was like five or six years ago, I practice exposure therapy. So I look at my net worth every single day. Um, and I've done that since the beginning. So since I, when I started this journey, I think I had $50,000 and now I have like 540000 um, so throughout that time, I've seen like the little fluctuations and then the little fluctuations get bigger and bigger and bigger. But because I looked at it from the very beginning, I kind of become like numb, not in a bad way to it. Um, so I, I was curious, though, because obviously I hadn't experienced like a 2008 or anything. So I was curious in March, would this be the moment where it's too much? And I actually do react. And I was shocked that I didn't. It was really weird. Like I on that day where we dropped 10 percent and I was like, meh. <laughs> it was so weird like I was I was prepared I was like I'm gonna freak out so I need like my ice cream on like on standby nope I was like oh, it's just another day wow that's interesting I like this exposure therapy idea I think and I think that makes a lot of sense I mean even when you think about it in other terms like um, you know, tracking your spending, which is, you know, sometimes such a hard thing for people who are starting to budget do. It's like, I don't want to look at my spending. I don't want to. It's painful. <laughs> but if you do it on a regular basis, um, then it doesn't become so crazy. You're like, whatever, I'm looking at my spending. And it's, yeah, you kind of uh, get a bit numb, but it, it's it's that exposure that's kind of helpful. So doing that with your net worth and your investments is a great idea. Good for you for not reacting. I certainly reacted. I didn't sell anything, but I did press pause on my contributions for my uh, RR recipe for like two weeks. I'm like, you know what? I'm just like freaking out. So I didn't like stop it. Like, yeah. So just like hit pause. And then I'm like, Jessica, get <laughs> back on the train. And then I, you know, started. So that was like my little reaction. But after that, when I, you know, restarted my contributions, then I actually changed my portfolio because it was 80, 20, uh, equities, fixed income. Then I, I changed it to 90, 10. Cause I'm like, you know what? Actually, I think we've learned something about ourselves and I think we can take on more risk. We just need to do it. And I'm, I'm glad I did. And now I'm even in the process of like, I am thinking of kind of do well right now. I, I, I kind of do a lot of different things. I need to kind of consolidate because I'm using a lot of different platforms. I need to con consolidate and do some new things, but it's for me, it's been a good experience actually this whole year of seeing these really volatile ups and downs because you really do learn about yourself and your kind of risk tolerance. This is a great way to really figure out what your risk tolerance is. Um, but also like, huh, okay, I think I'm stronger than I think. And I think I can actually do something a little bit different. So yeah, that's awesome. It was a great learning experience for people. <laughs> <laughs> Good or bad. Um, like you, even if you make a mistake, even if you're one of the people who freaked out and, and sold a bunch of stuff, that's still a lesson that you learned, right? So hopefully you won't make the mistake again. Uh, so I want to, because I, I was on your blog and on your website, you uh, stated that in 2015, that's when you decided to pursue FAR and you planned on retiring originally in 2025 at the age of 35, but you were able to do it way early. Uh, can you explain like how how were you able to, to change your plans so drastically and retire five years earlier than you expected? Mm -hmm. So I'm a pretty practical person, if you can't tell. <laughs> and my original numbers and calculations were based on my salary and spending at the time. And so I was making, I think it was 68K living in Manhattan and spending 35K because of rent. Um, those were the numbers I was using. And based on inputting all of that, it was going to take 10 years. However, um, one of the first things my partner and I decided for both financial and like emotional reasons <laughs> was that we needed to get out of New York. Um, and we'd been there was it four or five years at that point? So we made a spreadsheet, of course, of places we should move. And one factor on the spreadsheet was cost of living. Another was um, marketing salaries in the area and like availability of jobs. And after all that research and discussion, we decided to move to Seattle. And when I moved to Seattle, um, 
I got a new job and that job paid 85K. And our costs started decreasing, even though we didn't change anything about our lifestyle. We actually got a nicer apartment, but it cost half because it was in Seattle instead of Manhattan. Um, and then we just kept going like that. And I was looking to see, oh, were these costs like artificially low or what am I doing something different? Like, nope, actually somehow now I spend 18K and I have an even better life. And then job hopped again and the next job paid 103. And before I left, I was making, I think, 113. So the fact that I was increasing my income that amount and also decreasing my costs at the same time, that's how I cut my time in half. Mm, that sounds like simple math. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of the advice I give for her. It's like, well, if you want to achieve anything, it's cutting costs and earning more money. <laughs> so that's how that works. Um, I want to kind of circle back to um, one, because I know I, I gave you a ton of questions. So uh, about specifically your investing plan, a lot of the fire people that I talked to uh, are passive investors, believe in indexing. Was that kind of your philosophy? Did you do something different? How did you decide to invest your money? Like what, what were you investing in? Completely decided um, Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, BTSAX. Um, because it seems to have, it's counterintuitive, but it seems to have better returns than actively doing anything <laughs> or picking stocks or picking industries. Um, and then also, I'm a lazy person. So for those two reasons that it gets better results and I don't have to do anything, I was like, I'm in. <laughs> okay, that sounds easy also. And I love that answer because that's, it's one of those things where it's like, I've talked to so many people on the show and just in my personal life who, you know, uh, reached uh, financial independence. And sometimes you're just like, okay, what are you doing differently? And almost everyone is has similar answers to you. It's like, no, I'm just invested in index funds. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's it. And then you talk to enough people. And I feel like if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you're like, we've heard this from enough people. Maybe this, there's something to this. <laughs> <laughs> there might be something there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sometimes it really is. And that's kind of like the, the most annoying thing about personal finance is when you learn... Uh, the things that you're like, oh, I just don't understand, or it just seems like so mysterious, and you actually learn like the truth, or, or you know, some facts about it. You're like, it's so simple. It's actually kind of annoying how simple it is. Like, it doesn't have to be. I mean, you can make it as complicated as you want, but it doesn't have to be complicated. <laughs> Shockingly, it doesn't have to be. Mm. No. So uh, before I let you go, I, I love your blog. I think it's such a great resource. So I'm definitely going to point people there because um, it has like, again, a lot of the things that we talked about a little bit more in depth because you have so many great uh, blog posts to talk specifically about lots of the uh, questions I've asked you. But um, I, I think part of the reason you probably have a blog is you want to educate people about your journey and, and inspire other people to you know do the same as you. What are some kind of things that you learned that you want people to to know? Like, what are some some lessons you learned along the way? You're like, oh, if I knew this earlier, I w I'd be so much better off. I think that it's good to have a backup plan. So obviously, I mentioned my dream job, um, and I got it, and I wasn't as happy as I thought. I think even for the wonderful, rare few that do find a dream job that completely fulfills them, um, nothing lasts forever. <laughs> so for example, even though I found that dream job, that was around the same time we decided to move to Seattle. So if I had not decided to pursue fire and move, I would have stayed there. I'd be like, well, this is fulfilling enough. It's going to be fine. And then of course, right after I quit, um, I was building like a mini agency with one other woman, which is one of the reasons I loved it. I was like creating something new. Um, she was chosen to become the president of our entire ad agency. So our little mini agency was basically dissolved, did, no longer existed the job that I loved, the situation I loved. So even if I had been fulfilled by it, it would not have lasted. So have a backup plan, whether it is like just a normal side hustle backup plan or if you're quietly saving on the side the whole time so that if something changes, you have the freedom to change with it. Yeah, I think that's so, so important. I mean, not that I achieved fire exactly, but I was able to quit my job so I can work for myself. That was never the original plan. I think I was instinctively like hoarding money 
so I could leave. Like it was an unconscious thing I was doing. Um, but it's, I've had people on the show to talk about like having an FU fund where it's like having that financial freedom that if something happens, like your dream job disappears and no longer exists. And, you know, maybe they'll like put you in some other position in the company, but it's not going to make you as happy as like, you have the flexibility to be like, okay, well I'm going to leave and then either, you know, pursue a totally different career path or just find another job. And I think, I mean, especially I think in 2020, I've talked about emergency funds for so long, but having like an emergency fund, but also maybe an FU fund or something like that on the side in case you're like, you know what? I really hate my job, but it's not, you know, a smart idea to just quit with no plan. Have a backup plan, have some like reserves so you can take some time to find that job. Cause I, I mean, similar to you, it's like I've never lasted a job more than three years. Three years is my most. And so what's crazy is like, so I've been working myself for almost uh, four years. I'm like, this is the longest job I've ever held. <laughs> I'm usually bored within a year and a half to two years. Um, and then I'm out of there. And so I think that's probably maybe a millennial thing too. I don't know, but you know, it's always good just to have some, some, you know, a backup plan, some money, you know, just in the background. So you can, you know, if things kind of change, cause yeah, you may have the dream job. It may not last that long. Or for me, almost every job, like I love this job. And within a year, I'm like, I'm not loving this job. <laughs> um, so before I let you go, where can people find more information about you? I mentioned you've got Twitter, you've got Instagram, your blog, where can people find you? Sure. Just head over to my site at purplelife.com. It's got all my social media handles on there. You can just drop me a line. Let me know what's up. Ooh, awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me, share your story. I'm going to continue to follow you and your journey of uh, what you're up to this year. I'm excited to see what what happens. <laughs> what happens next? Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully some good things in 20. Let's 2020 is a wash. 2021. Let's hope for some good things. Hopefully some travel for you. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> And that was episode 249 with a Purple Life on the Mo Money podcast. I feel like I forgot to mention the episode number at the beginning, but then I recorded the intro and I'm like, mm, I liked the intro. I'm not going to go back and redo it. So episode 249, if you want to check out the show notes for this episode, just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash 249. If you want to find out show notes for any episode ever, just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash whatever the number of that episode is. Um, and you can find out links about the guests, more info about the episode, etc etc but of course make sure to check out a purple life since uh she's awesome and has so much interesting information about her journey you can find her at a on twitter her handle is at a purple life blog and on instagram at a purple life she also has a facebook uh page facebook.com slash a purple life and pinterest why not pinterest.com slash a purple life blog um <laughs> so i have so many so many things to share with you. So I want you to hang tight. I really do. Uh, so please hang tight. I just have a few words I'm going to share about this episode's sponsor, and then I have some things to share with you. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is sponsored by PC Financial. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, then you already know that one of my biggest pet peeves in the banking industry is monthly bank fees. I can't stand them, especially when there are so many great alternatives to choose from nowadays, like the new PC Money account from PC Financial that launched this September. Yes, that's right. PC Financial is back and it's going to give its competitors a run for their money. You see, not only are there no monthly bank fees, but you earn PC Optimum points on every dollar you spend anywhere you shop. That's right. No matter if you're buying groceries, paying bills, or buying one of the many personal finance books I talk about on this show, you earn points. 10 points per dollar to be exact. Not only that, you can earn additional points for paying bills online, linking an external bank account, and setting up and using direct deposit with your PC money. Account too. You can also earn 25 points for each dollar you spend when shopping at Shoppers Drug Mart. So, my question for you is this What kind of perks are you getting with your bank account? And is it time to make a change? To learn more and to stop paying monthly bank fees but start earning points, visit PCFinancial.ca. Once again, that's PCFinancial.ca. Okay, so First of all, like the, the most exciting thing, obviously, and you may already know this if you follow me on social media. And if you do not follow me on social media, why not? Why don't you want to be friends with me? I'm very nice. Promise. Um, if I just, you know, plug in myself, really follow me on Twitter at J E S S I underscore Morehouse or just like Google Jessica Morehouse. Um, I think I'm the only verified Jessica Morehouse on Twitter. So follow me. Uh, also Instagram. 
get on my gram. <laughs> I feel so old when I talk like that. I don't know why I try. Um, you can find me at Jessica I Morehouse. You can also follow the show at Mo Money Podcast, either on Twitter or Instagram. I always just share the episodes, basically. So if you're just like, I don't care about you, girl. I just want to know your episodes. Well, you can follow my podcast specifically on Twitter and Instagram and just get that content as well. But anyways, what am I talking about? Uh, so last week I mentioned, and the for the past several weeks, I've been talking about, hey, I'm doing the Canadian Securities course, send me good vibes, because there was two huge exams that I needed to pass. And I really, that first exam, I'm like, I'm not going to pass this. There's no freaking way. Like, this is crazy hard. <laughs> Passed. And that was a big surprise to me. Uh, last week, last Wednesday, as I released last week's uh, episode with Dan Price, make sure to check that out. That was a great episode. Um, I had the final exam, the, the second exam. Uh, um, and also, I, I went into it with a better mindset. I really did. I'm like, you know what? I actually really enjoyed the content of Volume 2 way more than Volume 1. I feel pretty good about this. I think there's a really good chance I'll pass, but still, you don't want to be too confident because then you do, and then you fail, and then your expectations aren't met, and then you're very sad and didn't want to experience that. So I put it out there again, though, to keep myself a candle. So I studied up until like the last moment, asked you for some good vibes, and clearly you gave me some good vibes because I passed. <laughs> Still in shock. I'll be 100% real with you. Still very in shock. Did I pass with, you know, flying colors? Absolutely not. But with things like this, with like really tough exams like this, the point isn't to ace the test. The point is to pass the test. And I'm pretty stoked that not only was I able to pass the both exams the first time, because you get actually three attempts because a lot of people fail. Um, but also I did it in, I feel like record time. I, from start to finish, from starting to crack open those books and start to study to taking the last exam, three months. Would I recommend that? Absolutely not. Don't do that. That's dumb. That is straight dumb. Don't do that. It is not enough time to really, uh, you know, take the time you need to study and not go into a panic or just like feel super anxious the whole time. So don't do that. I had to because my course license was set to expire by the end of October, so didn't really have much of a choice. Uh, but don't do that. Give yourself a little bit more time. Also, don't book both exams. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually make a blog post and a video about my experience and some of my thoughts. But just like in case you've ever thought about doing it, also just like fo focus on like the first volume and then book the first exam and then move on to the second one. I kind of you know put the pressure on me because I booked both exams and so I had no choice. Like I was kind of freaking out. I'm like, if I fail the first exam, I don't think I can even move forward with the second exam. Like maybe, but then I'd still have to do the first exam and then my license would expire. It's no good. I've been getting a lot of questions though about, okay, so what's next for you? Or why the hell did you even do that? Um, so I did the course mainly just because a lot of other people in the industry, other like journalists I know, a lot of uh, other money experts have done the course. It's kind of like a thing. They're, you know, I, I basically, it's not that I was ashamed to do it, but basically, the reason I'm like, well, I should probably do it is so many people are like, oh, you haven't done it? And then I'm like, oh, 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 oh I'm going to do it. <laughs> that's basically why I did it. Is that peer pressure? I think that is. That's probably why I did it. Um, but so that's done. Um, but the reason a lot of people do it is, is to work in banking, is to become an investment advisor or a portfolio manager. Um, eventually that is certainly not, if you know me, like that's not what my goal is. Absolutely not. Love what I do as a content creator um, and a financial literacy advocate and also as a financial counselor. And I just really want to improve my own financial literacy, my own knowledge and see how far I can go. But finishing the Canadian, Security, Canadian Securities course um, made me realize that, oh, okay, so that goal is done. Now what? Like, I always need something. I need something um, after because I don't know about you, and I was telling people about this recently because this happens to me all the time. When you set a really big goal and you achieve it, it's like fun for like, couple hours after I was like pretty like, you know, on cloud nine. And then, and then it felt like, huh, okay, 
now what? So like the goal is done and you kind of slum into a little bit of a depression. Like it was only for a few days, but I was, I was kind of sad and low and gloomy for a few days. And I, I'm like, why? I, I did something good. Why don't I feel good about it? Did a little research on it. And apparently it's actually pretty normal to feel like that because you know, sometimes you actually get that really amazing feeling leading up to achieving that goal. But once you actually achieve it, it's it's like the feeling's over. Um, the way to combat that is to set another goal, which is what I've been setting some goals. I've been I've been setting a bunch of goals because like I need something to work towards. Um, and so next on my like study list is there's a course called Financial Planning One. Um, and then there's a bunch of other course, uh, I need to take. Basically the, the, the new goal, the new crazy insane goal is I'm going to try to become a CFP because why not? Which is funny because I've had several guests on the show who are CFPs and talking to them in depth, especially with my uh, friend Matthew. And I'm going to check out what episode he was on. Oh yeah. Matthew, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get his last name. He's a friend of mine. His last name is not the easiest to remember how to pronounce. It's Siwiak. Maybe it's S-I-W-I-E-C. So sorry, Matthew, if you listen to this name, but your name, I'm a terrible person. Um, but he was on episode 205 and the episode was, who can you trust financial designations explained? He had just finished the CFP um, and basically explained how arduous it was and hard and, it just did not sound fun. And I remember recording that episode with him and I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm doing that. That's just not for me. Cut to literally a year later. That was September 2019. Look at me now. Like, what is what is going on with the world? What am I doing? Anyway, so that is the new goal. Um, and the goal mainly is, is, again, I'm not planning to become a CFP to open up my own, you know, financial planning firm. I mean, who knows? I'm not discounting. I'm, I just that's not the plan. I just really want to continue to grow my knowledge and just feel more confident about finances. It's funny probably saying that because I've had a lot of conversations recently with people being like, oh, you sound like you really know your stuff or you're so confident with that. Isn't that correct? That's nice that you think that, but I'm always on a journey trying to educate myself and build my own financial confidence. I know we talk about financial confidence a lot on the show. Uh, realize it's not just you. For me, I also have financial confidence issues. I mean, that's probably why I'm still in this field of personal finances because I'm always trying to I mean, build my confidence and my knowledge and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, so just wanted to share that with you. Thank you so much for sending me such good vibes and support online um, for me taking the Canadian Securities course because it was hard. And I know, you know, lots of people in the industry are like, oh, yeah, that's just like a beginner course. Well, it's, it's a foundational course, I would say. I wouldn't say it's like a beginner course because a beginner course kind of makes it sound like it's easy. But for me, it was like a big kind of milestone to complete because I'd had it on my to-do list for honestly like two years and the fact that I, I actually did it I'm like wow so I also just want to give that because I'm talking about myself a lot uh, give that as a, an example or hopefully some kind of motivation to you that if there's something that you've been meaning to do but there's been some sort of roadblock and maybe it's a mental roadblock or you just like feel like no there's no way I can pass Take this as your kind of, you know, piece of evidence or, or, or what have you that you can do it. You can kind of do anything. Uh, you just got to try and be okay with the possibility of failing because failing doesn't mean that, well, you can't do that. Sorry. It just means you maybe have to try again or try doing it, trying to accomplish that goal in a different way. Um, failure should be something that we embrace because you learn a lot from failure. So, and also fear of, fa fear of failure can actually be a great motivator for you to study. Um, so yeah, so that is what's going on with the Canadian Securities course. Um, besides that, I've also been kind of thinking, okay, what's next for me and my brand, the Jessica Morehouse Mo Money Podcast brand? Um, it's been a, this year, I haven't really thought too much about it, you know, because we've been, again, in a weird pandemic where I feel like a lot of us were in survival mode or just like trying to maintain my mental health. That is like the number one key. And so uh, I've definitely got some exciting things in the works. I've actually signed up for a program that is kind of like, you know, not to get too much into entrepreneurship, but it is kind of focused more on business uh, coaching and whatnot. And I've never done anything like that. So we're going to give it a go and see what happens. But um, yeah, I kind of want to just 
grow my brand because I want to reach more people. Like it's it's awesome that I I you know been getting so many more messages lately. I guess more people are online being like, oh, I just discovered your show or just discovered you on YouTube, and you know, that makes me happy because it's not just like, oh, cool. Like someone knows about me. It's more like, oh, cool. Hopefully like the information that I provided, that's like, you know, fun and digestible and helpful is going to help you. And I want to help like the whole point of me doing all of this is to help people and I want to reach more people so it can help more people. So uh, that is kind of the goal. And that's me, you know, revising some of my online courses. So there's going to be some big changes. So I would highly recommend if you kind of want to, uh, do the courses uh, that I have, my Fix Your Finances Masterclass or my Investing Foundations for Canadians courses uh, or course um, that, to sign up now. I'm probably going to be raising the prices in the new year because I'm going to be making some uh, big changes. Um, I also, of course, have my shop page, jessicamorehouse.com slash shop. So if you're looking for a budget spreadsheet, I've got a few free ones, a few paid ones. Um, I'm probably going to be raising the prices on those as well. So make sure to check those out. But otherwise, um, I'm going to definitely focus a lot more on YouTube. Obviously, I'm always going to do the podcast because I love the podcast, but uh, focus more on on doing more YouTubes because consistently because I actually really do like making videos and uh, I think I think it'd be a, a really cool thing to do. But anyways, I, I'm very early stages in in this situation, so that's why I'm just kind of rambling. But I'm I, it got me excited for the possibilities of what's next for me because I felt like for a little while I've been kind of in a slump this year. I mean, most of us have. And that's normal, but I think I'm kind of excited for the future. Um, even though we're in this very weird world of uncertain times and whatnot, I'm still like I've got something to look forward to. And man, is that important? Is that ever important? Um, okay, so that's that's kind of what I wanted to share with you. Um, yeah, feeling kind of hopeful, and uh, hopefully. I've made you feel hopeful about your finances, you know, reaching financial independence, whatever the case is on your personal finance journey. Just want you to know that we're all on our own journeys. And I think sometimes, um, especially for people who just discover this podcast and me and may not even know my story, it's like I've been doing, and I've been on a couple other podcasts recently sharing my story. So it's kind of fresh in my mind. I think a lot of people are always so focused on people's end result and people see me like, oh, wow, she's like pretty far ahead. She really knows her stuff, yada, yada, yada. Um, okay, well, cut to me 10 years ago and I was not <laughs> this gal. I was broke. I was living with two roommates. I Not only was this a crappy basement you know, apartment with the biggest spiders you've ever seen, as big as your hand, wolf spiders, no joke, no joke. Um I was broke. I didn't have any student debt, but I had no money. Um, I was working two jobs uh, and was trying to figure out what this adult life meant. And uh, it was terrifying. I was not having a good time. And then slowly I started reading blog posts. I started reading books. Um, podcasts weren't really a thing. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd listen to some podcasts. YouTube, I don't think personal finance content was on YouTube 10 years ago. Um, man, I'm aging myself. I feel old. Um, and so I slowly started to educate myself while, you know, doing my life and figuring out who I was as an adult and working my jobs and all that stuff and living super frugally, trying to save as much money as I possibly could. So I didn't freak out and basically feel like I was always living paycheck to paycheck. And then you know, I made a budget and I just, you know, made kind of a, a clear plan on how much money I can spend every paycheck. And slowly I started seeing some progress. And over time, I, you know, I, you know, got jobs that paid me more. Um, my side hustle, which is now my full-time job, um, started kind of earning a little bit more money that helped me save for lots of my uh, different savings goals, like travel, my wedding, moving from Vancouver to Toronto and being unemployed for several months while we, after we moved here, um, going back to school several times. So I I can, you know, uh, retrain because uh, I've changed like full on careers a couple times already. Uh, it was a, like, it's a, it's a process. It's a journey. And uh, I've been doing this, this as my full-time job for almost four years now. And I think sometimes, yeah, people just see me and see like, oh, wow, look at, look at that. But I'm like, it wasn't always like this. This was a journey and you really just have to be persistent and consistent and never give up on yourself. That's the key. It's not just about giving up on, like, don't give up on your goals, but don't give up on yourself. Believe in yourself. And you're going to have ups and downs, which is why I highly recommend 
you, you know, if you need a little help, nothing wrong seeing a counselor or therapist. I do myself. It's I, almost everyone I know in my my uh, you know circle does, and it's so so helpful to to you know to get the tools you need to to you know fix your life basically. So. Yeah, I just kind of want just to share, just being a little real with you that it's it's not just about the destination, it's about the journey and to be kind to yourself, be patient with yourself and just, you know, sometimes you won't see those results for a little bit and you just have to stay strong and keep on doing it. But, you know, having a budget, tracking your spending, your net worth, creating that financial plan for yourself, continuing to educate yourself you know, put that work in now and see where you'll be in a few years. I guarantee you, you will be in a way better position if you do put the energy, the effort, the work in. So that is my little thing. That's that's all I wanted to share. Thanks so much for listening. I will be back, of course, next week with a, another fresh episode for you. Um, yeah. So you have a good rest of your week. Thanks for listening again. And uh, yeah, I'll see you. See you soon. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.